may seem a strange passage uh, to consider in this Christmas season. If you're just joining us this morning, whether here in church or on the live stream, uh, we've been going through Psalm 98, which is the inspiration for the hymn, Joy to the World. And we've been looking at the themes uh, that the psalm gives us, uh, reflected in that great hymn, to consider what we might be about, what we might be understanding, what we might be pursuing in order to know that joy ourselves. And so we've looked at joy in receiving Christ as King. We've looked at joy in recognizing His salvation. Today, we are looking at joy in repenting of sin. And if you would join us at our Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve, right back here, we will conclude by looking at uh, joy in responding to grace. This is Psalm 98. This is God's Word. O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Spirit to take your word and apply it to our hearts and our lives with power, that we too may sing to you a new song as we see the marvelous things that you have done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're traveling about in this holiday season, no doubt you're going to find yourself in a lot of traffic surrounded by cars going to and fro from all sorts of different places, going to all sorts of different places. And sometimes I like to imagine and try to figure out, where are they going? Where are they coming from? What does that license plate mean? And I never know if I'm right. I may never ever see those cars again in my life, but... Every once in a while, you get behind a car, and it's just obvious. Maybe you get behind one that have, has streamers or tin cans tied to string, tied on the back bumper, with soap writing uh, on the back windshield saying, Just married. If you get behind a car like that in your holiday travels, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, something awesome just happened. Somebody got married. And you might not know who they are. You, you didn't have to be on the guest list. 
You don't have to know where they're heading on their honeymoon. You didn't have to to be present to to crash the, the reception to know something glorious happened. Something wonderful and full of joy. Psalm 98, if you will, is the the trail of tin cans tied to the back of Israel's return from exile. It is the, the soap marker writing on the back of that windshield to let us know something wonderful just happened. But what? Psalm 98 is the joyful fruit of repentance and restoration. And the reason we know this isn't because of anything in the psalm itself per se. It's the only psalm titled a psalm. Many psalms uh, give us some indication of the historical context or who wrote it. And this one, it's just a psalm. And there's nothing in the the actual text of the psalm that, that clues us in for certain about what is the historical event that has brought such joy. So how do we know? The reason we know that Psalm 98 is a a psalm of joy tied to the restoration of Israel from exile is because in verse after verse after verse, it quotes the prophet Isaiah. I've made a list of some of the main quotations in your bulletin. And I don't know what's happening on the screen there. In the back. Good. It's just me. I'm the only one that can see it. Um, Where was I? The reason we know uh, is because it quotes uh, Psalm, uh, it quotes Isaiah at length. And Isaiah was this prophet who warned Israel that they might be going into exile because of their unrepentant sin. So far had they strayed from the Lord. So far had they uh, wandered from his righteous ways. That God got to the point where he sent them into exile. Isaiah warned them again and again and again, and they didn't listen. And the day came when Assyria, when Babylon carted them off. But in exile, the Lord abounded to his people. And the prophet Isaiah didn't just warn them about exile. He also foretold the circumstances of their return and restoration and what that would look like and why it would come about. That in exile, they would learn repentance. That they would be changed and transformed and that the Lord in his kindness and in his grace would restore them back to the promised land where they would know the joy of the Lord. And so in Psalm 98, we have that joyful fruit of repentance and restoration. How can we find that joy? How can we find joy in repentance and restoration? We're going to look at that this morning by trying to answer three questions. Where do we find repentance? What would motivate us to seek it out? And what does that repentance look like? Where do we find it? What would motivate us to seek it? 
And what does it actually look like in practice? So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is the answer to this question. Where do we find repentance? This is an important question because there are a lot of different sorts of repentance out there. Some are worth pursuing and some are not. There are a myriad of false and empty forms of repentance that purport to offer change, that purport to offer restoration, that purport to offer joy, but do not. This is why uh, theologians of old called the repentance that the Bible speaks about repentance unto life. It's not just any old repentance. It's not a worldly repentance. It is repentance unto life. And these, some of these, you've seen these false repentances out there. Some of you have even participated in them. I mean, anytime a, a public figure, a politician, or a business leader, or even pastors will get up and, and offer these empty apologies, I'm so sorry if anything that I've done has caused any harm or suffering to you in any way at all. I, I really regret that. But there's no sorrow. There's no grief. There's no ownership of the thing that they've done wrong. They won't even bring themselves to admit that they've done it. They're sorry if, if you feel bad about it. And then there's no change in their lives. That's a repentance that the scriptures speak of as being motivated out of a worldly sorrow, a worldly grief, and it is a repentance that does not lead to life, but to death and destruction. It has no power. It has no joy. It's empty. But we see in Psalm 98, verse 1, and in the passage from Isaiah that it quotes in Isaiah 63, 5, this wonder, this transformation in God's people, where they are breaking forth into new songs because the Lord has done marvelous things. We see in Isaiah that the Lord looked, but there was no one to help. He was appalled because there was nobody to uphold justice or rightness, and so he worked salvation with his own arm. He does marvelous things, and repentance is a real change and transformation that only God can work in you. Can a leopard change its spots? Can a whale sprout wings and fly? Can sinners dig deep into their own soul, into their own strength, and find the power to become saints on their own? Now, what we learn from Psalm 98 and the prophet Isaiah is that you will only find real repentance. You will only find repentance unto life from the Lord himself. This is why the theologians of old called repentance unto life a saving grace wrought in the heart of a believer by God himself. 
Sometimes I think the wonder of that transformation, the the marvelous and, and unspeakable glory that that repentance and restoration brings, so intimidates us that we settle for a false and empty repentance thinking that it will be enough. And so we trade repentance for penance. Thinking that if I just work really hard to undo the bad things that I've done, if I just strive to to inflict myself with pain and suffering, that somehow it will make up for all the bad things that I've done and will set me on a good and righteous path that the Lord will look on with favor. Or or we think that if, if we're just deeply sincere in our sorrow and grief. God will will see that and he will be impressed with our sincerity and he will be impressed with the state of our heart and he will act. Or, Or if we just could find in ourselves the willpower to just quit it this time and do it right this time, then we will know joy. And yet, if you have ever pursued penance, if you have ever relied on your own sincerity, if you have ever stuck with your own willpower, you know eventually they give out. and They bring no joy, but only grief and sorrow and pain. Because we do not have the ability to change from what we are by nature. But Christ has that power to make the dead alive, to make the sinner into a saint, to to even shine light into the darkest places. And if you would find a repentance that leads to life, you will find it only from the Lord. So seek him while he may be found. What would motivate you to do that? Like what, what could possibly motivate you to seek that kind of repentance from the Lord? That's an intimidating ordeal to go to the Lord to ask, make me something different that isn't an affront to you. This is where Isaiah found himself. Before the Lord in all his holiness and in all his glory. He falls down in woe. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm done. Repentance isn't something that we can just think about. It's not doesn't it's not just an intellectual exercise. Isaiah here in the presence of the Lord didn't pause and and grab a a chair and sit down and go, let's consider, why are there these angels here? And what does this mean for me? In his whole person, in his mind, in his will, in his emotions, in his body and in his soul, he was undone and left crumpled. This is why the theologians of old, 
have spoken of repentance as as being motivated out of a a sight and sense. A, A whole person's sense. Not just seeing it intellectually, not just seeing it with your eyes, but in your whole being, a true sight and sense of the danger and filthiness and odiousness of sin. There is a real danger in some of the things that we pursue. The wages of sin is death, the scriptures say. And the final end of all our unrighteous deeds is the grave. And yet, knowing that might cause great alarm in us, but it doesn't necessarily move us to repentance. It might spark great fear and anxiety in us so that we're always wondering and always fearful, but it doesn't necessarily move us to repentance. Seeing the the odiousness of sin coming to a place where we, we hate it in us. We want nothing to do with it. We want to turn away from it. We want to have it taken. We want to have nothing to do with it. Coming to that place where we see that it's not just a a bad thing, but it is an utter filthy corruption that taints and destroys everything around us. That it's a stench in the very nostrils of God is true. But even that's not enough to move us to repentance. It might evoke shame in us. It might burden us with despair. It might cause us with Isaiah to crumple with no strength or power to do anything at all in ourselves. What can motivate us to repentance? Certainly we ought to see the danger of sin. We ought to hate it. But without an apprehension of the mercy and goodness and kindness of God, What do we have to turn to? And yet that is exactly what we need. Not just to know the danger, not just to hate our sin, but to see God in all of his goodness, in all of his kindness, in all of his mercy, in all of his justice, in all of his holiness. To know that his heart is to seek and save the lost. Such that with Isaiah crumpled before the very throne of God, God himself sent an angel to take tongs and grab a coal from the altar and to touch those unclean lips of this prophet and to announce your sins have been atoned for. Because God is kind and merciful and gracious to those in need. You will only ever find a reason and a motivation to repent when you see the Lord for who he is such that you can turn away from all of those things that would destroy you, from all of those things that you once loved to the beauty and majesty of Jesus. This is why the psalmists break forth with praise that he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. They are astounded at who he is and his heart for his people.
And yet, sometimes we manage to convince ourselves that we need more motivation than the God of glory himself, and we look in all sorts of other places for that. We, we look to maybe our own emotional state for motivation to pursue repentance. I'm just, I can't be in that place any longer. I want peace. I want happiness. I want joy. And so we go about seeking it. Or we look to our own doings and our own accomplishments, thinking that if I could just succeed in this, if I could just get people to see this about me, then I will will be showered with the joy and happiness of the Lord. And so we work and strive. Or, Or if we just can get our thoughts in order to find some certainty about who I am and what I'm to be about or what my purpose in life is supposed to be, then I'll find joy in it. And yet on all of these things, we are looking to ourselves for motivation to turn from our sin to the Lord of glory. That'll never be enough. Because only Christ is that beautiful. Only Christ is that full of mercy. Only Christ is that glorious that if we were to gaze upon him, we would never want anyone or anything else. He is our motivation for repentance. But what does it look like? I want to be practical. Repentance is a turning away from something to something else. And repentance unto life, then, is a turning from sin. In total, all of it. Not not just the really bad ones. Not just the ones you got caught with. It It is being filled with such grief and and hatred for all of your sin, for the sinful state of your heart, that you would leave it all behind. But not just generically or generally. Theologians of old spoke of repenting of our particular sins, particularly all of those things, those words you shouldn't have said, those thoughts you shouldn't have had, those images you shouldn't have looked at, those things you shouldn't have done. All of them. Recognizing the danger and the filthiness of them and turning from them toward your God. Who is the Lord? Who is the King? Who is the Judge? Who is the Savior? As Psalm 98 makes clear. And he is the sort of judge that you can run to for mercy. He is the sort of king that you can flee to for help. And he is the savior of all those in need. But you might be wondering, so is this just a one-time thing? Do, do Do I repent and then I'm done repenting? 
how does this work itself out? What does this look like? What you find is that repentance is is more than simply an act or an action. It is an attitude. It is a disposition that bears fruit. It is an endeavoring to follow after the Lord wherever he leads, turning not to the right or to the left or to other things, but always seeking to be renewed in turning to the Lord and following him. And and so in this, we see in Isaiah 55 and in Psalm 98, there is the learning of a new song. There is an invitation to join in and to to participate in it yourselves. There is in Isaiah this, this call to be led forth in peace by God. There is at the heart of repentance, this disposition such that repentance would be the constant fruit of the Christian life. You're never done repenting this side of glory. There's always something new you discover about yourself, something new you've done. There is always a need to turn from what is wicked to the Lord of glory himself. And that is why repentance is more than just a one-time act. It is a disposition. It is an attitude that the Lord works in the heart of his people so that they would endeavor to follow after him wherever he leads. That's a lifelong, every moment, every day, commitment. And so some of us look for ways to avoid that. And so rather than looking to the fruit that the Lord calls to be borne out in our lives, we settle for worldly standards. A lesser love, a false joy, a temporary peace, a momentary patience, a human kindness or goodness or faithfulness, a harsh gentleness. Or we give in to shame and, and, and settle for serving idols. We don't want to go to the Lord again and make confession that, yes, again, I have failed you, forgetting that the Lord himself told his disciples, if anyone sins against you, Forgive him 77 times 7. Like the, the Lord who commands his people to be so generous and overflowing with their kindness and forgiveness will himself be generous and kind in his forgiveness. And yet we sometimes let our shame keep us from going to him. And we settle for serving idols instead. Or we just trade one bad habit for another. We think, well, I shouldn't be looking at porn. And so instead, I will be committed to painting. That's great. Painting is way better than using pornography, depending on what you're painting. But it's not necessarily repentance. Or we trade smoking for drinking, or drinking for smoking. 
And we never know the joy of true repentance. But Christ leads us in the way. He is the way. And if we are to know the joy of repentance, that repentance must be the fruit of our lives as we are moment by moment, day after day, forsaking all other ways and endeavoring to follow him. Even if it means we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow. You might be wondering, where's the joy in this? Where's the joy? And that's the thing. That is the glorious thing. And that is what Psalm 98 makes so clear. Sometimes we can think that repentance saves us. If I only repent, then God will save me. And repentance doesn't save you at all. Jesus saves you. The God who loves repentance saves you. The joy isn't in resting in our laurels and talking about how we've turned from the way. The joy is in Him. This God who loves to seek and save the lost. This God who loves to work repentance and restoration in sinners. This God who overflows with mercy and kindness such that the hymn writer would say, He comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And so Psalm 98 doesn't talk about the context. It doesn't talk about the history. It doesn't talk about the specific works of repentance that God's people worked in their restoration from exile. They find the joy of repentance is in the Lord who receives them with gladness and with celebration, so that his blessings might know no end. May you know the joy of repentance, turning away from the things that would destroy you, to the Lord, who is the source of all joy. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to learn this new song, to learn this transformed way, to learn this new way of living that we might bear the fruit of repentance in every moment, that we might know you, this God who works marvelous things in weak and frail people that we might join this chorus singing joy and adoration and praise and honor and glory and blessing be to our God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.